Uh, this morning, I woke up at four in the morning, worried about stuff, and my brain turned on. Today's sermon is about worry and anxiousness. So I'm thinking that next week the sermon title is going to be How to Manage Winning the Lotto. <laughs> Just trying it out. We'll see what happens. So anyways, okay. I'm all settled in now. We're going to talk about peace today. Last week was talking about God's peace uh, that we receive through Christ because God is present in Christ. Isaiah 9 was our text, and it's this encouragement that the light has dawned in the darkness, that we have light now in the darkness, and that evil is toppled, and that Christ has come, and that he is our wonderful counselor, he is the Prince of Peace, our mighty God. And so we take great comfort in knowing that there can be peace today because God is present now. Today I want to encourage us that knowing that God is present offers us peace. And I want to encourage us to know that because God is present, it changes our perspective on life. That peace comes from having an eternal perspective because of what God has done for us through Christ. Let's pray. We'll dig into a great passage, and we'll be encouraged today. God, we love you so much. Thank you for the eternal perspective that we can have today because of Christ's victory, because of Christ's love, because of his incarnation, because of your coming to be with us, Lord, to vanquish evil, to conquer death, to rescue sinners, to forgive us our sins, to give us life in your kingdom. God, there's so much to celebrate today, so much to know today of comfort and peace and encouragement because of you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Let us have eternal perspective today, knowing that you are coming again, that you care deeply for us, your children. We love you, God, and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, you know, I, I've been working on this series with some friends uh, in ministry that are kind of scattered around Indiana and Ohio and Michigan and and one of them this week sent me his notes and some, uh, some things he was working on. And, and uh, at the end of it, he said, and I found out Tuesday that I'm no longer going to be employed with the church at the start of the year. And I was heartbroken for him. And I was mad at the church. Because <laughs> I don't know why you would fire a preacher at Christmas. Um, don't get any ideas. And... Uh, but it's like, good grief. But in his note to me, he said, I'm so thankful that we're talking about peace and just studying about God's peace despite the life's difficulties has been so encouraging to me. And he believed it was, it was God's timing that we would be talking about peace, that it's prepared his heart to be okay through this. And I think that that is in part an answered prayer that we would pray over our church to experience peace and know God's peace. I think there is, um, there is a great light to shine in the darkness if we can be a people of peace. That if you can be a person that despite difficulty, despite things going on in your life that are really, really difficult, that if we would be people who are comforted in knowing that God loves us and we're secure in that, that if people see in us a confidence and security of knowing 
that Christ loves us and laid down his life for us. If we can be a people who, no matter the circumstances, no matter what we face, uh, can be a people of comfort and encouragement and a higher trust, knowing that God is with us. Megan was, uh, she hit the nail on the head with just what worry is, and it's this, this disrupting our belief. Let us be a people this Christmas season who have our faith and belief strengthened in Christ and encouraged that we would have a different perspective to face life circumstances. You know, we all are going, we all go through so many different things. This morning I, I heard uh, the terrible, tragic news of, a, of someone who passed away who was, I think, 19 or 20 years old, young man in our community. And that gives me such sorrow. His name, you're wondering now, it's like I derailed the whole sermon. His name's Jared Scarberry, and he passed away. Uh, he was a little lamb's student, and he just graduated. He was just married, and he has a baby on the way. Absolute tragedy, absolute hardship. There's ministers who are losing their jobs at Christmas. There's folks who get terrible diagnosis from the doctor. There's people dealing with health issues. There's people who uh, are, have lost loved ones. And so it's pretty audacious of a preacher to say, okay, we should be a people of peace. How does, you know, does God know what we're going through? Does God know what we're facing? Does God know loneliness? And it's why I'm grateful for the Christmas story. The Christmas story tells of a king who comes. And the king comes not to Jerusalem and seated on the throne. He doesn't enter into Rome and the great, uh, under great celebration and fanfare. But the story of Christ is him being born in Bethlehem in the muck and mire of life so that we can be a people of peace knowing that God truly does know loneliness, that God does know hardship, that God does know what it means to be poor and broken. And so we can worship this God and we can have a different perspective on life because of the way Christ comes to us. I see news of royalty and now Megan and whatever his name is, Harry. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of news about them. I don't relate to their problems in any way, shape, or form. I could not care less. Sorry to let that out there. But I just don't connect. But I do connect with a king who's entered into the brokenness of the world and knows of our suffering and he knows pain. And that's your king. That's your king. He knows what you're going through and he knows despair. He knows brokenness. He knows hardship. And so we can call him a wonderful counselor. We can call him the mighty God because he's entered into the muck and mire of our world. And he knows us. Later, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, there was a man named Paul, Saul, who persecuted Christians. And 
in the early stages of the church, we know that Saul was a persecutor of Christians. He killed and celebrated the death of people who followed Jesus Christ. Jesus stopped him on the road to Damascus. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, is that you, Lord? Like, you got to stop it, man. I'm recruiting you for a job. And Paul lived his life dramatically different from that moment on because his life was changed with an eternal perspective. Christ's presence changed his life, and then he lived his life with an eternal perspective that saw Jesus Christ as Lord and King. And I think it's that that strengthens Paul for what would come in his life. This person who was a persecutor of Christians became the persecutor. He was arrested, he was tried, he was convicted, he was beaten. He was one who was imprisoned. And then he wrote a letter to the church that he had visited, Philippi. And Philippians, they took up an offering and they blessed Paul, and he wrote a letter to say thank you to them. And in that letter, he asked the people in Philippi, the church there, to have an eternal perspective of gratitude and joy. He encourages the church to live a life worthy of the gospel. He encourages them to be a Philippians 2 church that says you are, are to humble yourselves and look to the interest of others over yourself. And so he challenges the church to be this faithful witness and humble witness in their community that they would trust God. At the, towards the end of his letter, he writes this encouragement, this challenge, and I think we need to remember that Paul is imprisoned, Paul is speaking of joy, Paul is speaking of peace when his freedom is taken from him. And so we can trust that what Paul is saying here, persecuted, arrested, and he can challenge and encourage us Christians today to, to live with a better perspective. When Christ is present, there is peace. And with the right perspective, there is peace even more. Let's look at our text this morning. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You know, it can be difficult for us, but I think Paul is already laying out for us the framework of understanding how we can rejoice in all circumstances. I don't know what you're going through right now, but there are always things that are going on, and there is always difficulty, there can always be frustrations. You know, I, I worked for my dad quite a bit, and uh, uh, what working uh, in like customer service and sales, like people tell you more than what you want to know. Uh, always, and you know, I find that actually in ministry too, but uh, probably shouldn't. Uh, but people, you know, it's like, can I just sell you dog food? Like you get their whole life story, but uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes folks would tell you what was going on in their life, and their perspective was skewed. They were bitter, they were angry, they're, you know, they'd come in mad about their spouses, and they would talk to the high school kids selling dog food about it, and it's like, is there a sign on me that says I need to minister to you right now? So it was the early stages of uh, ministry refinement and training, I suppose. But there is just a perspective to life. And we, we, know, we know that we can have that negative, critical. But Paul, a person, 
who sells out his life for Christ can say to us, rejoice. Rejoice, always rejoice. What is the reason for joy? And I think it's right there towards the end of the first verse. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. near. When the Lord is nearest, there is reason for rejoicing. The angels proclaim it. The shepherds go and see it. When the news comes that the Lord has come near to us in Christ at the birth story, there is celebration and rejoicing because when the Lord is near, there's reason to rejoice. Friends, I, I know that there are circumstances in our life and difficulties and always things going on, but if we have the eternal perspective that the Lord is always near, that His Spirit is with us today, it doesn't seem all that impossible to be filled with joy and rejoicing because Christ has come. The light has dawned. There's reason to rejoice. Then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And so it's an invitation. I think that Paul, you know, we can read Paul and it feels like a religious requirement at times, but I think he's calling us to a relationship. We can be challenged by this text to rejoice and go to God in prayer not out of religious obligation, but out of a relationship offered. That there is a reason why God came and drew near to us, and it wasn't so that we would stand off and stand away and separate ourselves, but that we ourselves would draw near to God. He came near to you to have a life with you. So invite Him into your life and talk to Him about everything. Tell Him all about it. Keep it succinct so you don't, you know, get too holy and thinking you're awesome. You know, get to the point. No, <laughs> talk to God. Spend time with Him. With thanksgiving and prayer, represent your request to God. Pray. And it says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, this morning at 4 a.m., my brain started thinking. It turned on. I told it to turn off. It, st- it just kept going. You know, you, know what, uh, you know what that's like. I blame it on the dog. I think the dog woke me up. I was thinking, okay, I must need to be praying about something. I must need to be praying. I needed to practice this before I preached it. Take the time to listen, pray, and to take what's going on in my own life and offer it to God. Pray for the broken and the hurting and the suffering. To pray for you, to pray for this message, that it would be heard, that you would be encouraged to spend time with God and draw near to Him. And it's from prayer, it's from God's presence, it's from God drawing near to us that we have peace with God. We need to change our perspective. Perspective that challenges the sort of popular notion and these critical things that just says that God God doesn't want anything to do with me. That you're not worthy of talking to God. That there's something wrong with you. There are a few things, and I'll point them out now, but right that that these things that are told about us and the lies that we tell ourselves and that 
we don't deserve to have a relationship with God, that we have to be, we have to clean up everything about ourselves before God would even want to have a relationship with us. And I'm telling you, God drew near. He drew near the lowly. He drew near the broken. He fellowshiped with sinners. He ate with the ostracized. He welcomed people who were not ever considered good enough. And he fellowshiped with them and he forgave them. The world tells you a lie that you don't get to have a relationship with God unless you do it all right. And I'm telling you, despite not doing it right at all, God desires you. Draw near to him, and it changes your perspective. There is peace today because Christ is near. The Lord is near, so rejoice. The Lord is near, so praise. The Lord is near, so pray. The Lord is near, so be thankful. The Lord is near, so draw near to him. Then Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace, the God of peace will be with you. You know, I, I think about uh, think about social media, think about news, think about just advertisements and life and interaction, and it really doesn't feel like uh, all the time it's very easy to think about what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely, and admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. What gets celebrated, what gets the megaphone, what gets amplified is not what is true, but what's false. What gets amplified is not nobility, but stupidity, right? I have yet to see, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. Very rarely do I see someone doing something noble that gets celebrated, and what gets viral is the ludicrous, the stupid, like, look at this, watch this idiot, you know? That's what gets magnified. That's what gets magnified my video of me surfing, you know, that, you know, I'll show a cute little, you know, I could talk about something good, but that doesn't get shared, but me wiping out several times, man, people love that. Whatever is true, think about this. Whatever is noble, think about this. Whatever is right, we've experienced that, that the falsehood, the ludicrous, the ugly, the terrible. And we have to ask ourselves, does this really truly represent God's beautiful world? Does this hold true to what I know to be true? We live in a world where we rewrite history. We look back and we say, well, we didn't get that right. That wasn't what it was. I think about a news cycle. In one news cycle, I'll snap a judgment about what I just heard. And then two weeks later, I'll realize, whoa, I was way wrong on that. When I was in fifth grade, it was the O.J. Simpson trial. And they've since, like, redone, and they've gone back and looked at things. And my perspective 
as a fifth grade boy thinking about O.J. Simpson, I thought I had it all figured out. And then when you get more of the story, you're like, oh, okay, there's more to it than that. How often is your snap judgment wrong? Some of you are perfect, but me, I get it wrong all of the time. So what do I think about? What should I think about? What should I be putting in front of me daily to have peace? Because I'll tell you what, when we think about the ugly, when we think about the false, when we think about the broken, when we think about all of those things that are going viral and the things that get amplified and all of the ugly, horrible, terrible, no good, rotten, very bad things that happen, what does that do to my peace? What does it do to my heart? What does it do to my mind? So I want to think about what's true. And this, this is the only thing I got that I know with all my heart. Jesus is Lord. He is the Son of God. He created the world. He was with God in the beginning. He's the firstborn of creation. He was crucified. He's resurrected. His kingdom is here, and I have life in him. That I know is true. And so I think about him. If I want to know what's true, I think of Jesus. If I want to think about what is noble, I think about the nobility of a Christ who could have taken the world into his hands on his own volition and his own power, but instead he lays his life down. I think of the nobility of one who lays down his life for his friends. When I think about what is pure or and right, I think of the righteous one, the faithfulness of Christ. I think of his righteousness that's now ours in Christ Jesus. Not a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness given to me through Jesus Christ. When I think about what's pure, I think about a pure Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for me. That he would wash me and make me whole. When I think about what is lovely, I think about the shepherd I think about the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. I think of his voice calling us. I think of him and how he loves and cares for us each and every day. Think about these things. When you think about Jesus, it gives you eternal perspective. And it gives you this. The peace of God will be with you. If you want peace in your life today, if you want it today, no matter what you're facing, no matter what trials, no matter what struggles, no matter the circumstances, if you want peace today, it comes by drawing near to Christ. And so think of Him. Think of Jesus. And the peace of God will be with you. And there will be trials. There will be things that we get anxious about. There will be so many difficulties in our life. But there is a promise of God's presence. A promise that gives you peace. My challenge, my encouragement today is to be a Philippians 2 and a Philippians 4 church. A Philippians 2 church humbles themselves. 
serves one another and cares for one another, looks to the needs of others over their own. We're a Philippians 2 church who in the trials and circumstances of our life when we're filled with anxiety or we're concerned for ourselves, we look to Jesus Christ as our example. We look to Christ who in being very nature God did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself he lowered himself he lowered himself at his birth and he lowered himself at the cross by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross and therefore god exalted him to the highest place gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a faithful example of this in the story of Christ's birth. If you turn to Luke 2, jumping kind of right into the story, in Luke 2, 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. See this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning about uh, concerning what had then told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at the shepherds, at what the shepherds said to them. But what did Mary do? Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This Christmas season, I invite you to be more like Mary, who takes all of the story and all that's been told her in all of this moment, and she ponders Jesus in her heart. If you want peace, it comes through Christ. Think about what is good and pure and true and righteous and noble and praiseworthy and excellent. And the answer is think about Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And we think of Christ today, who is our peace. He is our comfort. He is our counselor. He's our grace. He's our mercy. He's our love. He is our faithful one. And so, God, I thank you for today. Time to think of Jesus. May it be something that gives us perspective every moment of every day. That as we face trials and temptations, as we face despair and death, as we face brokenness and hurt, Lord, may we know today that you know those things 
that you drew near in the midst of pain and hurt and sin. That you know and you are filled with empathy and grace and love for us today. We think about you. Lord, in the busyness and the hurriedness and all of the things going on in life, may we slow down. May we take into consideration all that's gone on and ponder Jesus Christ. We rejoice. We praise. We lift high the name of Jesus. In his name that we pray. Amen.